Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Hey, good evening, everybody. I want to welcome those of you here in the room with us. I also want to welcome all of you that are watching online uh, or listening to this podcast later. And no matter where you may be or how you're joining us, I'm grateful that you've taken some time to uh, grow your leadership and get better at, uh, at leading yourself and leading others. And so thank you for joining us for Leadership Night. My name is Mel Massingale, and uh, great to see all of you. Thank you for coming. Um, just, uh, I've had a couple people ask, but um, <laughs> I'm worn out over the last week. Just had a lot of stuff going on. Got back in town yesterday and uh, back in the office today, and there's 50 million emails to respond to. And anyway, so death by emails. Um, and so that's what I've been dealing with today, but I'm, I'm glad to share uh, leadership night with you tonight. And for those of you here in the room, if you want a copy of the notes from tonight, um, I've got a very detailed notes that I'm happy to share with you as you're signing in. If you would just um, put your email address in and that'll let us know that you would like the copy of the notes and the lovely and talented Vanessa Zero will make sure you get those. And uh, I'll get those to you tonight before I leave, so you can send those out tomorrow, Vanessa. Um, and so like I said, they're, very, they're pretty detailed as far as what we're gonna cover and talk about, but feel free to, uh, to take notes as well um, as we talk. Because tonight I wanna talk to you about something that is probably one of the things I get asked about more than others as leaders. It's one of the most popular questions I get is how do you have hard conversations? How do you have a hard talk with somebody? And we've covered it um, in detail in the past. And as I was going back through my notes looking, I was like, we haven't really talked about this specific topic in a few years. And so I thought, you know what, this is probably uh, always a good thing for us to revisit and keep in mind. And so we're going to jump into that. But first, let me just say a quick word of prayer, and then we'll get started. So Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for the time we've got together. Thank you for the people that are here and people watching online, the people listening to this podcast later. I just pray you'd bless our time, make it fruitful. And I pray that, uh, God, not only would you help us have uh, the ability to have hard conversations with people, uh, but I pray that we would be open and receptive to people having hard conversations with us as well. So God, minister in our time, uh, stretch our leadership. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, the truth is m- people avoid tough, t- tough talks because they're hard. That's why they're called tough, right? Hard conversations. Um, and in my experience, the difference when I'm coaching and working with churches, uh, many times the difference between a, a, a decent church and a healthy church is the senior leader's willingness to have hard conversations. Um, it is simply that important that we're willing to have a hard conversation with people who need to have it. And that doesn't mean that, um, that we drop a hammer on them. It doesn't mean that we enjoy having hard conversations because I don't know anybody who likes having hard conversations unless they're neurotic um, because you don't wanna hurt people's feelings. You wanna be liked. And so it's really hard to navigate difficult topics. Um, but conflict isn't a bad thing. Uh, conflict can be a really good thing if it's handled correctly uh, and you understand what is possible on the other side uh, because sometimes peace is only possible on the other side of a conflict because sometimes we think, well, we've got peace because there's no conflict, but there's not peace because you know I need to have a conversation, but I don't want to, so I'm just gonna leave it. So all you've done is taken the conflict and you just internalized it. And so that's a problem. So I would encourage you, um, take some of what we're talking about tonight and implement it, put it into practice. Um, I would also encourage you, never wait too long for a tough talk because it only gets harder. Uh, There's a, a... figure that many of you have probably heard of. His name is Dr. Jordan Peterson. And one of the things Dr. Jordan Peterson says is conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. Um, So when we delay conflict, we're actually just making it worse. One of the things my staff has heard me say before is don't let little monsters become big monsters because we hope things will go away on their own, but they don't. They hardly ever do. And so what happens is that problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That bad behavior gets worse and worse and worse. That whatever it is, it rarely fixes itself. Um, so, so it's important for us to have the conversation in the moment. Here's the other thing. Um, 
maybe you've had leaders like this. I had a leader one time that um, he was a pastor I worked for and our relationship was great. I would have said that we had one of the best relationships of any pastor I served under. And then we did our annual review and he blasted me and he went down his chronological list. And back in April, you did this. And then in June, you did this. And I was like, wait a second, why didn't you tell me this stuff when I did it instead of hanging on to it? Because then it just felt like he was, it was spilling over. Um, and what you don't want to do is ever have a talk with somebody that's six months old or eight months old. Um, you don't want to have to wait till their mid-year review or their annual review because that's waiting too long. And typically, if we're waiting, it's because we're just unwilling to have the conversation. So I would encourage you to do it before you feel like you want to do it because you're never going to be ready to do it otherwise. Um, so let me just give you some prerequisites before you have a hard conversation. And I think most of these principles work whatever direction on the flow chart. I, the, the obvious one is if you've got subordinates, uh, having hard conversations with somebody who works for you or serves under you or whatever it might be. But I think a lot of these principles work uh, vertically up the flow chart as well, because that's really hard having a hard conversation with your boss, right? Because they control uh, your reviews and they control your job happiness in many ways. But I think a lot of this stuff applies vertically as well as, um, as well as, what is the word for vertically is up or down? Hmm. Well, I told you earlier, I'm tired, so we'll just go with vertically. So here's four questions to ask before you have a tough talk. So four questions to ask before your tough conversation. The first one is this, what is my desired outcome for this conversation? What's, what, is my, what am I trying to accomplish? Um, and this is a really, really, really important thing to ask because if you don't, if you just have a hard conversation, what can happen is, if you don't know what the desired outcome is, is all, you can share your feelings about some things, but nothing may be produced. So you might um, vent a little about your frustration. Man, you really stunk at that. You didn't do a good job. You didn't even pay attention. And I'm just unhappy about it. But all that's happened is you just vented. And maybe that feels good for you, but that's not really beneficial or constructive. So what you have to do is just ask, what am I really trying to accomplish in this conversation? And figure out, is it changing behaviors or attitudes or whatever it is? Maybe it's bringing alignment between you and that person. I don't know, but identify that before the conversation so that you can know whether that conversation was successful or not. At the end, you'll be able to go, hey, we accomplished the goal, so that was a win. Um, so ask yourself, what's my desired outcome for this conversation? What do I want to accomplish? And really, I, I would say, even if, even if a conversation is being initiated with you, this is a good question to ask. This is one of the things I ask when people come into my office to have a conversation, even if it's not a corrective conversation, because it helps identify the win. Because uh, so somebody will make an appointment with me, they'll come in and sit down. And sometimes they don't want to tell Vanessa what they want to talk to me about because it's personal or whatever it is. So they'll come in and start talking. I'll go, hold on a second. Help me understand, what do you want to accomplish through this conversation? What would you like to see happen at the end of this conversation? Because then it helps me go, okay, I know where they want to go. I know what the roadmap is. Um, and so I think it's a good question to ask, even if you're not the one initiating the conversation. The second thing is this, what are my assumptions about the person? <laughs> this is really important too, because let's be honest, we all have people that serve under us or, or work under us or whatever it is that maybe you connect with better than others. And so it's not just your good assumptions, but it's your bad assumptions too. Do I assume the worst about this person? Am I able to see this person clearly because of some of the biases I might have about the, who they are? Um, and it's not, it's not the stuff like their ethnicity or their gender. It's the stuff like they show up late all the time and my attitude's gotten really bad about them. Um, it's that kind of stuff. They always have a bad attitude with the other people on their team. And so now you've developed a bad attitude toward them. It's important for you to understand what those are so you can divorce yourself from that when you're having the hard conversation as much as possible. It's also important for you to understand what your biases for that person are so that when you have that conversation, you can go, okay, hey, I naturally look at them in too good a light. I need to look, try to look at them objectively so that I can give them real feedback when they need it. Um, yeah, see, and I put the, oh, a note in here that says, see the other person as a person you work with, not as an enemy to vanquish. I, I'm, I like to argue. Does anybody else like to argue? Like, and so I like winning arguments. A few of you, thank you. Um, 
And so sometimes in my past, I've looked at, looked at hard conversations or arguments sometimes as an opportunity to win instead of an opportunity to grow or get better. And so make sure you guard your heart when it comes to that. The third thing is this, you have to ask yourself before a tough talk, what is my attitude about this situation? So not just about the person, but about this situation. Um, it's really, I, I try never to have a corrective conversation um, quickly after something happens because I need to cool down sometimes. And we'll just be transparent here in the room. It's just us, nobody else is watching. Um, like we had, uh, not long after we opened Blairsville, we had a horrific Sunday in Blairsville. I mean, it could not have been worse than it actually was. It was rock bottom service, it was bad. And I heard about it and I was like, my first response was to go, well, let's have a conversation about it right now. But I knew I couldn't because even though I loved the people that were involved in it, I knew my heart was not healthy in that moment. I would respond. It's kind of like with your kids, people will tell you, you don't correct them out of anger, right? You, you wait. And so this is one of those moments where I had to go, okay, we're not gonna talk about it on Sunday. We'll talk about it on Monday when I've had an opportunity to sleep and rest and clear my brain a little bit. And so it's really important for us to be able to distance ourselves from a moment that maybe has stoked up some emotions uh, so that we can bring correction in a healthy kind of way. Make sure our attitude is healthy about the situation. The fourth thing is this, ask yourself, what am I responsible for in this situation? And this is really important because maybe you're a department head, maybe you're the boss, maybe you're the owner, whatever your role might be. We often think it's our job to fix everything. And so it's important for us to do is go, okay, in this situation, uh, am I trying to fix this whole thing? Am I trying to help this person's attitude? What am I responsible for? And once you identify what you're responsible for, it makes it easier for you to identify what is this person responsible for? So I'm not responsible to fix the situation. I'm responsible to, to help bring clarity of vision to this person so that they can fix the situation. Does that make sense? So again, we automatically go, I'm going to fix it, but maybe you're not supposed to fix it. Maybe that's not your responsibility. Um, <laughs> I put this note in here as well. There's a, a couples therapist and uh, author named John Gottman. And he said, even in stable, happy relationships, when conflict begins with hostility, defensive sequences result. When conflict begins with hostility. So when I go into conflict armed for bear, it's probably gonna go bad, right? If I go looking for a fight, like anticipating it's gonna get right, let's go, it's probably not gonna go very well for me or for the other person or maybe for either one of us. Um, and this is true in your marriage, in work relationships, whatever it is. And so I think it's important again to ask yourself these questions so you can be in the right frame of mind before you enter into a tough conversation. So let me ask you guys a question. Um, Michael, you back there? You have a mic? Well, well th this is some, we'll do some audience participation portion for this part. Let me ask you guys a question. How would you initiate a tough conversation? And I mean, feel free to throw out, it can be stuff that you've done, stuff that you wish people would have done with you. Um, let's t just talk through, how would you initiate a tough conversation with, let's just say a, a subordinate, somebody that works for you? What would some language be that you might use? So I've typically used the sandwich approach. Uh-huh. Where you start with something good. We call it the crap sandwich, Mike. The, whatever, yeah. crap sandwich, whatever. Yeah. But re really in, a, in an effort to coach somebody, you start uh -huh. with like, Hey, we have to have a good uh, a conversation. Um, you know, here's the things that like I really appreciate that you do. Or yeah. you know, start with the good things, and then the meat of the conversation is where you hone in on what needs corrected, mm -hmm. and then you end with something encouraging uh, to build them up to leave from that. And so, like, and you're a very snappy dresser. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for coming to my office today. Right? Yeah. Now yeah. Get out. yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good approach. A lot of people use. Let me be more specific. When you're initiating the conversation, when you, when you want to ask them to have a hard conversation, what are, what are some things you might do or say? Get in my office. Anybody have any thoughts or ideas? Pray about it, yeah. Yeah. I'll usually start with, I need your help with something. Yeah. That was popularized around here by one of our former executive pastors. Well, yeah, he yeah, did that as well. He did yeah. that all the time. Right. I knew he didn't really need help with something. If he was asking me, hey, I need your help with something, it was like, 
okay, he disagrees with me about something. We need to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew what that meant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that became code. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I need your help with something. So right. why, why do you think that's a good way of starting? Uh, because I want to take a position of seeking understanding rather than trying to impose my will or opinion on the other person. Mm-hmm. And so I'll ask, say, I need your help with something. I heard about what happened or whatever. I, I need you to help me understand yeah. what went on. Absolutely. And that way, yeah, I'm seeking clarity first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the old, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So I try yeah. to take that approach with difficult conversation. Yep, I like that one. That's a good one. What else? This might not go completely along with it, but uh, I know the Bible talks about like a gener- gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh-huh. So I almost change my whole tone and how I even speak. I really concentrate on how I even speak. Yeah. Just with so much gentleness, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and even I hadn't thought about it this way. I think what you're talking about, Toby, and what the principles we're talking about are effective even with your kids and correcting your kids. Um, so even what Todd was saying, as far as seeking to understand before being understood, I mean, as parents, how many times have I made that mistake where I'm like, why did you do that? I'm not really asking why they did that. It's more of an exclamation. <laughs> and then I go on to tell them why they shouldn't have done that instead of going, okay, help me understand why you, whatever it might be. And so I, f- I feel like this is all applicable even with kids probably as well. So yeah, that's a great answer, Toby. Start with gentleness. Christy. I mean, you talking about kids made me think of something I do with my children that could work with employees is I ask their suggestion on something that's went wrong. Like, what yeah. could have made that go better? Yeah. What could have we done differently? And then also acknowledging, like, the part I might have had in that thing going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great, great suggestion that goes along with what Todd was saying. Um, I think you all know this. Some of you have probably been ambushed by hard conversations. Has anybody ever been ambushed by a hard conversation before? That stinks, doesn't it? They're like, hey, can we talk for a second? Sure. And you walk in and then the door slams behind you. It's like, what in the world? Like, we've had, I've had that moment before and I don't like it. I don't like feeling that way. And so I feel like there are some, some things you can say, some things you can do to help kind of frame the conversation a little bit. Here are a few suggestions for you. And if you've got some, you can throw them out while we're talking. Um, hey, I have something I'd like to, uh, to talk to you about. That I, wait, let me go back. I wrote this wrong. <laughs> Again, I'm very tired. I have something I'd like uh, oh, to, to talk with you uh, or to, to share with you that I think you'll help us, that'll help us work together more effectively. I have something I'd like to share with you that I think will help us work together more effectively. That, that's the, what I was trying to write. My brain wouldn't, anyway. Almost made a comment about a political figure and decided not to. So um, I need your help. With what just happened, do you have a few minutes to talk? And this goes back to what Todd said a little bit. Um, I need your help with something. Can we talk about it? Um, and I would be specific. I wouldn't just be like, as, I would be as specific as you can. And if they sure say, sure, let me get back to you, or sure, I'd love that, then just follow up with them. Um, hey, I think we have some different perceptions about whatever it is. Uh, I'd like to hear your thinking on that topic. Um, and again, this is an invitation instead of, um, instead of a, a fight, you know. Um, I'd like to talk to you about blank. I think we may have different ideas on how to blank. Um, because again, then it, it's, the defenses drop a little bit when it feels like there's an invitation to the table rather than um, an invitation to a fight ring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to see if we might reach a better understanding about blank, I really want to hear your feelings about this and share my perspective as well. Um, When people are being corrected, in my experience, people feel a little out of control. And so it's important to give them as much control as they can, as much as is safe to give them. Um, And so one of the things I do is, is sometimes I will say, hey, there's a few things I'd like to talk to you about. When would be a good time for us to chat? Um, because then it lets them dictate the time. You know, I'm not just calling somebody in my office because do I have the right to do that? Probably, I'm the boss, I could, uh, but it probably sets the wrong tone. Immediately, somebody's gonna come in defensive. I, you know, 
text somebody, get in my office now. I've got the right to do that, but is it right to do that? Probably not, because I want to lead differently than that. And so again, giving them some options and, and trying to be specific with them, because I don't want to ambush them. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about when can we talk about it? Is a great, I mean, that's something I would normally do. So with all that said, are there any other ways you might phrase something or ways you might invite someone to a tough conversation? Yeah. Yeah, well, I could put my face next to yours and you could use the mic, but okay, that might be awkward. Mine kind of ties in with what you're saying about scheduling uh-huh. the time to make it more comfortable for them. Yeah. I always found in the past that that made them feel more ease mm-hmm. whenever they entered the conversation to lower that stress level. Yeah. So giving them the opportunity to let you know when it's convenient makes it easier to start that conversation, yeah. even though it is a hard conversation. Yeah. Well, and, and I would say even not just the time, but even the setting, because there's sometimes I need to have the conversation in my office. Like, but there's some corrective conversations we don't need to have in my office. Because even people that from our church that are just coming, even sometimes when they make the appointment, they feel like they're coming to the principal's office, right? And so a lot of bosses, a lot of leaders, you, you may, that might be the case, the people you lead, and you don't even know that. Um, but that's just the perception because you know, maybe the only time they ever go in there is when they're getting in trouble. And so that can be a problem. So think through the timing, think through the, the setting. Um, so let me just start, let me see, I've got uh, five. I used Roman numerals, so that messed me up for a second. I've got five um, different things to think through when you're talking about a, a hard conversation. Uh, so Michael, we'll come back to Q&A at the end. We're good for right now though. Uh, the first thing is this, and Todd refer- referenced this, ask questions. So when you're having a hard conversation, ask questions. Uh, don't just make statements, but, but ask questions. Seek to understand, as Todd said. And the question should not be questions like, how could you be such an idiot? Like that is not a good question to ask in a corrective conversation. Um, and when you're asking questions, don't just listen to the words they're saying. Look at their nonverbal cues. What does their body language look like? Um, are they reflecting hostility? Are they reflecting insecurity? Um, you know, look at that stuff and, and use those things to help you understand how they really feel and what they're really trying to say. Pay attention to their tone. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I would strongly suggest you never correct via text message or email unless you absolutely have to, because you can correct in the most gentle, kind way in the world. And if their heart is, um, their heart is going to filter that and they can filter it the wrong way. And it can look totally different than the way you intended for it to. So when I'm sitting with somebody, they can see my body language, they can hear my tone, and I want to make sure they understand what I'm trying to say. And I don't want to, I don't want to water that down with a text message or an email or something like that, where it could be misunderstood. Uh, Prioritize understanding over being understood. We mentioned that already. Um, Again, that goes back to the you know, the pregame, like when you're thinking through what I want to accomplish out of this. Well, I want to understand why they made the decision they made or why they did what they did so that it will help me understand how to help them better. Um, Make sure when you ask questions, don't interrupt. There's nothing I like less in the world when somebody asks me a question that interrupts the answer to the question they just asked me. (laughs) That is so frustrating. And so if you ask a question, let them talk it out um, and conscientiously listen to what they're saying. Don't just prepare your next, you know, barrage of questions for them, but let them answer and then thoughtfully respond to what they say because you've been thinking through it. You've conscientiously listened. Um, And like I said, wait on the other person to finish before you respond. So even I would encourage you, don't just stop and go, oh, well, hey, let me address that. Because when they're responding and saying something, it's easy to go, okay, well, hey, let me, because I want to, right? So even when we're correcting, sometimes they're defensive and they're saying, well, I only did that because you, and then we want to defend ourselves. And I would just encourage you, save that for, the, for them to finish. And then you can respond to the things you need to respond to. So ask questions. Number two, understand. We said this already. Uh, John Steinbeck, I don't know. He's, he's definitely not a Christian author, but uh, he's one of my favorite novelists of all times. Uh, John Steinbeck said this, all war is a symptom of man's failure as a thinking animal. All war is a symptom of man's failure as a thinking animal. What he's saying basically is um, we go to war because we stop thinking. 
And that's the one advantage we have over all other animals is the ability to think and reason and process. And so this is where I would say, make sure you are thinking through what you're saying and why you're saying it. And again, this comes back to understanding. Um, Make sure you you understand what the other person has said before you respond. Uh, If you're not sure, this is a great thing to ask. When somebody says something, say, okay, hey, you said this. Help me understand that a little better. What do you mean by that? Um, That is always a good thing to do. Sometimes people get flummoxed when they're in a difficult situation, when they feel the heat rising, and they might say something stupid. And if they do... Ask them to explain it. Hey, help me understand. You mentioned this. That doesn't make sense to me, but help me understand what you're saying. Um, So I would continually ask those kind of questions. Hey, can you help me understand that better? Uh, Approach the conversation with openness and an interest in problem solving rather than needing to be right. I told you earlier, I like being right. I like winning arguments. um, And I've got to lay that down when I go into a, a tough conversation. Take responsibility for feeling the way you do rather than blaming the other person. No one can make you feel anything. Um, you willingly feel it. Um, and maybe they stoked something, but you allowed your feelings to get where you got. So I can never as a supervisor, as a boss, say, you made me feel, right? Like, that's not fair. It's not right. So what I have to do is reframe that. Um, and I can't say things rather than saying Um, you make me so mad, what we should do is focus on the other person's actual behavior. Hey, um, man, you did this and this, and and here's how I felt when you did that. Now, it's not your fault that I felt that way, but man, um, can we talk through this a little bit? Um, Here's some, a, a few good statements to to just have ready in your back pocket when you're having a hard conversation. Um, I understand why you thought that about me. That one stinks, right? Um, I've had more, and some of you know me well enough, and, and maybe you don't know me real well, but maybe you've been around me enough to, to know that I've been accused of being a bully a few times, which is hard for me because I don't like that perception. But I also know that sometimes I can be a bully if I'm not careful. And if my heart's not healthy, I can be. And so I've got to be really careful about that. And so when somebody accuses me of being a bully and when we're having a a hard conversation, I have to be willing to say, hey, I get why you would think that about me. I totally understand. I see what some of the things you're seeing. Um, Because again, when we can do that, it helps us uh, bridge a gap. Um, You might even say, I understand why you did that. Hey, help me understand why you did what you did. And they explain it. Okay, I understand now why you did that. This still doesn't justify why they did it. It still doesn't make it right. Um, But at least you can say, now I understand. Okay, thank you for helping me understand why you did that. Uh, Because acknowledgement is not an admission of guilt. It is not saying it's okay. It does not clear the slate for them or anything like that. So understand. The third thing is this. State your case. State your case. Speak as calmly as you can, and as a matter of fact, a tone as you can muster. Um, and this maximizes the chance that the other will hear the content of your message rather than fixate on your emotions. Because I've made the mistake of correcting emotionally in the past. And the story that is told after the meeting is that Mel was upset, he was angry. The content doesn't matter at that point. The story that's being told is my emotions. Does that make sense? So what you have to do when you're correcting is make sure, hey, my emotions are in check and I'm gonna speak in a, in a tone that's um, not warm and friendly because you don't wanna be like, you did such a terrible job. I just want you to know how disappointed I am in your behavior. Like that's weird, right? They're just gonna be like, I'm getting my stuff and going. Um, but you wanna, you wanna your tone to be one that reflects um, evenness, if I can say it that way. Um, so be careful about your tone. Be careful about the way, the, the way you say what you're saying. Uh, avoid finger pointing, whether blaming or literally, uh, liter- literal finger pointing is really, really bad. Uh, but figurative finger pointing is bad as well. Um, this just puts the person on the defensive, feels like they're being lectured. You don't want to do that. Avoid name calling, yelling, screaming, cursing, especially cursing. If you're a believer, I would prefer for you not to correct people that way. Put downs, insults, or threats, emotional or physical. Uh, when any of these things happen, the only thing other people are going to hear is your anger, and they're going to feel like they're being attacked. Um, 
I had a, a basketball coach when I was in high school, and he was the best coach I ever had. His name was Brett Close. And, um, and Coach Close, he would cuss some of the players mercilessly. I mean, call them all kinds of names. And then there were some of the players like me, and maybe I was just a sissy and didn't know, like he knew I couldn't handle, but he, like players like me, he would pull to the side. If I did something stupid, he'd pull me aside and go, hey, Mel, um, man, I saw you, you know, roll to the baseline. You shouldn't have rolled to the baseline. Why'd you do that? Well, here's why I did that. Okay, don't ever do that. Here's why you don't do that. But he understood, hey, some players respond differently to different stimulus. Um, and so... This is not an excuse for you to fly off the handle with some of your team or cuss them because they, oh, Coach Close did it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But understand that some of your people are going to respond to different stimuli. So some of them are going to respond to you being more direct. Some of them are going to need you to be a little more passive about how you approach it. But just understand that as you state your case, how you state your case is almost as important as your case is itself. Um, when you're Describing your concerns, uh, be as clear as possible about specific examples and avoid words like always and never. This is true even in conflict with your spouse, by the way. Um, I, when I have a couple sitting on my couch that they've been fighting uh, and they say things like, well, you always, it's like, no, that literally is not true that they always leave the drawer open or they always leave their shoes in the, right? Like they don't always do that. Uh, you never, no, that it's not true. It's right? But it feels that way, but we say it. And then what happens is it gives your spouse an opportunity to go, I don't always do that. It's like, okay, 99% of the time. But at that point, you've already lost the argument, right? So same thing, when you're having a hard conversation, avoids words like always, never, everything, nothing. Uh, don't speak in generalities like that. Use specifics. Um, if you're not keeping track of your employees' behavior or misbehavior, you need to start today, right now. Even if it's not a formal system where you have a, um, like a file for each employee, even if it's just something as simple as having an Excel spreadsheet that you can go back and refer to. Because if somebody has a pattern of bad behavior, whatever it is, and you correct them, you have to be able to be specific about it. You have to be able to say, Hey, you know what? I noticed, uh, you know, this behavior. And then we talked about it on March 31st. We talked about, do you remember us having that conversation? Because when you can refer to that, it just makes your case that much stronger. So you have to be able to keep track of when this is happening. Because if you just have a conversation and go, I feel like you don't really care about your job. Or I've noticed that sometimes, I don't know. And if you're, the more vague you are, the harder it is for them to correct the behavior. Um, Again, let's go back to understanding. Use your understanding statements to state your case. Stay on topic. Um, don't build your case with unrelated issues. And again, this is good in your marriage as well. Let me help you with that one. Um, so stay on topic and talk about what you're there to talk about. The fourth thing is this, fix the problem. Ask the other person what they think will work. This goes back to what Christy said. Sometimes just asking them, how do you think we need to, fix this? How do you think we can make this better? Um, because this helps create safety and trust. Hey, you're asking me how to fix the problem. You're, you're giving me responsibility for it, making this better. That's, that's a win. Um, build on something they say. Again, this goes back to active listening. Listen to what they say and then build on something they say. So when you're talking about a solution, go, hey, you know what? You mentioned you're unsatisfied with this kind of, so, so why don't you help us come up with a solution for. Um, so go back to what they say and use it against them. No, I don't mean, I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> it's ammunition. Take them down. Uh, the third thing is this, under fix a problem. Uh, if things get heated, go back to asking questions. So if you start feeling yourself uh, like getting frustrated and you know when that's happening, right? That's where you take a deep breath and go back to asking questions. Go back to trying to understand uh, don't leave the conversation without agreeing to a resolution. This is one of the biggest mistakes I see in corrective conversations with leaders is that they have a hard conversation, but they don't really correct anything. They just vent and gripe and they're frustrated. And then at the end, they're like, okay, well, I guess you still got your job. Uh, just don't do it again, right? And that's it. There really needs to be a plan of action. There needs to be a, an agreement upon a resolution of some kind. And then the fifth thing is this. Uh, this goes back to Mike's crap sandwich I was talking about. Affirm. 
Affirm affirm them for their willingness to talk, if nothing else. And then always reward good behavior. If all you do is punish bad behavior, um, people are going to start to look at you like a hammer. And so what you want to do is catch people doing good and affirm good behavior because that is preventative. That helps prevent bad behavior because people see that what is celebrated is done. Um, so affirm. So at the end of that hard conversation, um, if, if they're not being terminated, uh, that's where I would always come back and go, man, I am so, thank you for letting me have this conversation with you today. Really, I appreciate it. I know this is a hard talk, but I appreciate your openness to it and your willingness to have it. If you've got questions about it in the future, let me know. If you, we need to circle back and talk about something, I'm willing to do that, but thank you so much. And man, I do see, you know, this hasn't been awesome. Man, I see this, and so I appreciate that. And that's a good way to end kind of on a high note where it doesn't just feel like you were just pummeling them in this conversation. So there are a few things I would give you in terms of having a hard conversation or a tough talk with somebody. Let's just jump into some Q&A and uh, not just for me, because I know there's a number of leaders in this room that have had to have some hard talks as well. So I'd love to hear what some of you guys have to say. So questions about what we talked about. Do you find yourself very often needing to like have the conversation um, like the plan of action includes, okay, we're going to talk again in a week about this or a month mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, do you yeah. feel like that's necessary more, more often than not? Yeah. Usually one conversation is not sufficient. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I leave it open. Hey, if you have questions, you know, let's circle back and talk. But a lot of times I will say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about this again in two weeks. And we're going to just come back and just talk about progress. Where are we at? Do you have questions about this? But yeah, I feel like that's very helpful to have. And I guess while I have the mic, another question is what if you don't work in person? I mean, are you you trying to do it on the phone or a zoom call? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I hate zoom so much, but I think zoom is probably better than a phone call even because at least then you have visual cues. You can see like how they're responding and, you know, and they can see yours as well. And so I would, I would, yeah, I would probably try to have a Zoom call or something like that if I could. Okay, thanks. Yeah, good questions. Yeah. Oh, you got one right there on your immediate right. How do you uh, respond to people that are not responsive? So you're sitting there having these conversations and it's just, it's like you're talking to a brick wall, you know, and you, how how do you deal with that? Well, uh, so I'll open this back up to you guys. First thing I would say though, is ask lots of questions. That's where I would kind of force them into the conversation, but I know what you're talking about. There are people that you try to correct and they're, as soon as they go into correction mode, it's like they're rebooting, you know, like, like zone out and it's like, okay, I'm, the lights are on, but no one's home. And that's a feeling. So, I mean, I would just go back to questions. Hey, do you understand? And that kind of thing. But it's hard when you do that. Does anybody have any suggestions on what to do when somebody is clearly disengaged in that? Send them immediately to HR. We've got a lovely parting gifts for you. So no, no suggestions on that one? I think this might help. Okay. Um, and this is kind of an idea. It might be a bad idea, so I didn't want to share it earlier, but I'll share it now. This is um, the time for bad ideas, so that's perfect. Okay, perfect. so I, I think it's possible to have a hard conversation with with someone with whom the two of you have a mutual friend who can function as an intermediary. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, you know someone who trusts you, and they also happen to trust that person more than they trust you. Yeah. Then you can send that person in to have the conversation with them. And the reason why I think I thought it might be a bad idea is that everyone seems to think by way of principle that if you have a hard conversation with someone, you need to be the one face-to-face having that conversation. But sometimes I think it's helpful to have, you know, we see this like with direct report systems, like in, in organizations where you have, you know, the boss and then you have systems of managers mm-hmm. and then they have people who work with them. And yeah. so it's, it's not like it doesn't work. Yeah, I think there are definitely cases where that's appropriate. Um, and there are, there are some times... And I think it's especially appropriate when you're going up the flow chart. Um, and so that's one of the things we want to do with our staff. If they feel, I mentioned earlier, some people perceive me as a bully. And so if my staff is having a problem with me, they might not want to come to me and go, hey, you're being a bully or, hey, I don't like how or whatever it might be. And so that's one of the things, you know, we've talked about, like, hey, you can go to a, one of our board and 
you and the board member can come to me and talk if you've tried to talk to me and I'm unwilling or, you know, if, if it's just awkward, like we can have that conversation together if we need to. So I think it's especially helpful going up the flow chart, uh, going down the flow chart. I think the only time I would ever do that personally is if it was something that needed to be documented by a third person. Like I need a witness for this conversation. <laughs> and so uh, that's not fun either, but it's like, hey, we're putting you on a 90-day action plan. If things don't get better in 90 days, we're gonna have to terminate you. Those are the conversations I will definitely have a third party in the room for. Uh, but as far as just being a mediator, I think it can be helpful, but I think the culture of your organization has to, has to approve of that. So if you know your boss is um, like super type A and maybe would be threatened by something like that, I, I don't know if that I would try that unless the culture dictates that it's acceptable. That's a good question though. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes H <clears throat> yeah, sometimes HR will require it for just accountability purposes so that they can document, or, you know, have proof of what was actually said. Um, was that a big company? Yeah, so again, the bigger the scale, the more those kind of regulations are gonna have in place, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I got, again, just be fully transparent with you. Um, my last church I was terminated from. Um, and in hindsight, like looking back, it was like, thank God they terminated me because like the pastor who terminated me was in the midst of a moral failure. He was cheating on his wife and stealing church money to do it and all kinds of stuff. And the guy he had in the room when I was terminated was a guy that we were pretty good friends. And, um, and so I walk in the room and here they are and he tells me what's going on. And I'm like, I can't believe this. And so some of my anger toward the pastor was also directed at John. And so you guys might remember John Chastain has been here. He's preached for us a couple times. I've done stuff with him. I mean, we're great friends. We talked a few days ago now, but at the moment I was like, this guy, like he is on my to kill list, right? Like he's near the top now. And so that is one of the things that makes it tough whenever you've got somebody sitting in the room is like, ooh, they may not be able to be friends with you after that. So yeah, there you go. You know some of my dirt now. What else? Questions about hard conversations? Anything I said here you want to push back on or you disagree with? Hey, Aaron. Hi. Kind of, <clears throat> kind of curious if anyone has had experience with how do you have hard conversations with a narcissist when you're stuck with them? That's a good question. I'll open it up. Ryan, you got a smile on your face. Does you want to respond to that? Okay. <laughs> I, won't, I won't force you. How do you, how do you have a hard conversation with a narcissist? Uh, and what was the second part of that? And you're stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be bad to say, hey, how would you fix this? What would you do in this situation? Because you're so smart. No, I wouldn't say that, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I think um, one of the things you can do is compliment them and then challenge them. Like someone like you would be able to solve this, you know, yeah. and, and that kind of thing. That might be useful. <laughs> kind of. It feels like something you'd pull with like your toddler. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know, I know you're, you're such a big kid. You could set the table for us. And like, that's right, I could, you know. Maybe it would work. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Uh, that might be a good approach. Yeah, I don't know if, that, I don't know if that's helpful at all. That's hard. And, and, um, and you're not on the screen, are you? No, you're not. So in your, in your setting, are you able to hire and fire or are you just stuck with the team you've got? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really hard then. Um, does your supervisor know that? And so your supervisor's like, wah, wah, sorry. Are they high performers? Oh, gosh. Wow. So they're just good enough. They have just enough moments of shine that it, yeah, yeah, I get you. That, that's tough. Yeah, I don't have a good solution for you, Aaron. That's tough, man. I think we're in the same situation. I think we're all. Are you talking about each other? No. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I was about yeah. to say, we can talk yeah. this out right now. Hey, wait. <laughs> I'm ready to get a narcissist. <laughs> so anyway, um, I think we're avoiding hard conversations in uh -huh. my area because we don't have staff. Oh. Yeah, well, you, we're understaffed. We don't want to lose somebody, that kind of thing. Their behavior's bad, but they're performers. But work from home is killing us because it's good and bad because they're not in-house and they're not fighting in-house, but yet they're assuming things at being at home, what's going on, but then they too have slowed down. Not Production is way low. We were just looking at numbers today and it's killing us. Yeah. And we're, we are busier than pre-pandemic right now, <laughs> picking up more. And yeah. Six or seven staff members low. Yeah. Um, I hate that because that's one of those times you probably, or as an organization, have to sacrifice org health for the production, the meager production you're actually getting, unfortunately. And that's probably not a decision you make. That's probably a conversation I would have with my supervisor and just go, hey, here's what I'm seeing. What do I need to do about this? And maybe you already know without talking, but I, yeah, I think a lot to have the conversation but we're yeah. so afraid that they there's so many opportunities right now because where we work um in our department we're healthcare, so we are 24 7 yeah seven days a week you know like and long hours yeah and you just can't they're they're going to nine to fives mm -hmm. five days a week other places yeah same because back in the day, we were the, the higher paid people mm -hmm. at our place and had good benefits and all that. Well, now everybody else is stepping up. Mm -hmm. They can't find people either. Yeah. So now it's just like an even, I'm, I'm not going to lose anything. If yeah. else. I'm going to get a better schedule. Yeah. So it's really hard right now. Yeah, that's hard, especially if you don't have support from up your flow chart to have those conversations. There's not a whole lot you can do. Um, but... Well, okay, so the challenge of not having those conversations is, um, you know, we talked about this principle, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago. Uh, I, I mentioned it. You, you choose who you lose. So if you have, if you don't correct the people who need correction, the people who don't need correction are going to leave because they're going to be demoralized by seeing, well, wait a second, I know what they do, and they seem to be getting away with everything, and I'm a high performer, and that's frustrating. And so I think maybe... Maybe it would be addition by subtraction. Maybe you're going to get more out of your high performers because they're going to stick around and maybe you would lose some people, but you're going to lose the kind of people that you would want to lose anyway. So I don't know. I would make sure before I start cutting people loose, you know, setting the lifeboat adrift for people. But before I did that, I think I would talk to your boss and make sure because the culture is huge. People are staying or leaving their organizations because of culture. Um, the great resignation that we had in the United States where everybody was leaving their jobs and finding new jobs, they're all upset now because they left for greener grass and they realize the grass is only greener because it's over a, uh, a sewer treatment plant, right? And so now they're frustrated because they maybe left a good culture for a higher paying job. And so this is where I would say, I would probably go back to my boss and just say, hey, here's why... I want to do this. Here's why we need to have these corrective conversations. And here's the risk, but here's the risk if we don't do it. If we keep doing what we're doing, I would probably try to make that case. That stinks. Yeah. Hold on one second. Let him get to you so the people online can hear you. I, uh, I just got transferred from a restaurant that was fully staffed ran like a well-oiled machine mm -hmm. to a restaurant with no staff. Um, I'm a manager, but I'm essentially in production all the time. And it's kind of like, I'm kind of like a team member now Yeah, because we don't have the staff. Um, I tried to have a tough conversation with a team member. Um, and my boss basically told me don't have conversations like that because we don't have, we can't afford to lose anybody else. So um, it's extremely frustrating going from one, you know, one, perfectly run or not perfectly but you know like very yeah well run place to one that's just struggling yeah so something far. that's healthier yeah um, i get that but you know the, the what i tried to tell my boss was these aren't my rules these are the yeah. company's rules and the company's standards and we all should try to um achieve these standards so you can't just let things slip um because it's hard right now yeah it's going to be hard and sometimes you just that's part of your job as a manager or a boss yeah 
Yeah, I think ultimately, because what a lot of managers, bosses look at are the bottom line, right? They look at profits. And I, I really do believe if a culture is unhealthy, it's going to lead to bad profits. It's going to lead ultimately to less value in the organization. So, I mean, I, I do think there's good reason to have that, but I also get why in, in this job market, why people would be like, nah, we're not going to, let's avoid that. Let's not have that talk. So I get that. Here's a plug for your dream team. So in this type of environment where, you know, people are free agents and that sort of thing, um, from when I was on the tech team, it's way more difficult to lead people that are volunteers, right? Because you, there's no authority, there's mm -hmm. no big stick to lead with as far from threats. So mm -hmm. um, I would recommend that anybody who hasn't done that to try to lead a volunteer organization because I think it applies to these situations where you can't really afford to lose somebody. So you've got to figure out other ways to motivate them and have those conversations where they're not going to either try to leave or other things like that. Yeah. Well, and because it changes the balance of power in a, in a conversation because like, I've never talked an employee out of leaving. Um, like if so, an employee comes to me and says, I'm quitting, um, I've never been like, no, 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 no. What do we need to do to keep you? And this sounds terrible to say it this way, but as soon as you do that, now it's shifted to where, oh, they need me. And so now it makes it real tough to have the hard conversations to have, because now the, the balance has shifted to where it's like, oh, well, you guys need me around. I'm too valuable. So I'm going to, I'm going to play by my own rules. And so I think that's kind of what Ryan is saying. It feels like probably in the organization, some of that's happening because it's like, well, fine, I'll do whatever I want. I'll come in whenever I want. I'll say whatever I want because you need me worse than I need you. Does that feel that way a little bit? Ooh. Yeah. You talked him into staying? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, okay. Um. What are some steps that you would take to damage control after you blow it, like on a hard conversation? Say you just so you have a hard conversation that you don't handle well. well. Yeah, and then you regret it. Yeah. How would how do you fix it? Uh, well, so as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, I would go back with humility and just say, "Hey, listen, I was stupid. I said this, and I said it out of emotion. I was wrong to have said it because maybe you're a hundred percent right in what you said." But again, if you were wrong in the way you said it, that's where you have to repent and you have to own it. You have to eat your pie and, you know, apologize. Um, so, I mean, for me, that would be a guiding principle, like make sure my heart is right before God. But just as a boss, I would say it's really important to humble yourself in front of your, you know, in front of your subordinate to help them see like, hey, I'm genuine and sincere in this. Um, the hardest person in the world to apologize to is your own child. Um, because, um, because they're your kid. You're not supposed to have to, right? You're the boss, you're the, you're the, you're the dad, you're whatever. So like, it's hard to do that, but I've told parents, one of the most freeing things you can do is when you blow it with your kids is to apologize and just say, Hey, I was wrong. Daddy was wrong about that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, whatever it is. And I would say the same thing is probably true to some degree as a boss who has to apologize in that moment. Um, because I think you can re even reaffirm, I, I, I still feel like what I said had value to it. I still would correct you. I just would correct you dif differently. And I was wrong in the way I approached that. So yeah, I think that has a lot of value when you do that. Good question. Yeah. Well, and I, I've had some bosses that corrected me badly, but they never came back and said, I was dumb, I'm sorry. Um, I've had bosses tell other people that they corrected me badly and that they wish they had done it better. And I was like, that didn't help me, man. Like, come back to me and tell me that, right? So, yeah, good question. We got a few more minutes. Any other questions or thoughts or comments or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, we're talking about, you know, asking those questions. It invites somebody into a conversation rather than, hey, you're here to be pummeled and uh, line up, here's your blindfold. Um, and so same thing with your, with your kids, you're inviting them into something. Hey, I need to tell you something. I was, I was wrong. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's powerful. Mm -hmm. We need to concentrate real heavy on God's way. Mm -hmm. And so many times we don't. I, 
guilty myself. Yeah. Uh, people sometimes feel that being controlled, uh, especially when there's a narcissist involved, mm -hmm. you don't want them to feel that you want to control them because that's exactly what they do. Mm -hmm. And they don't want you to do that. So when, what I do is I uplift. Yeah. I put a couple of marriages back together. Uplift. Yeah, again, and, and, and I think what you can do is, um, I mean, helping them identify a win, helping them see, hey, here's the benefit of, of you adjusting your behavior. Here's, what, here's how you benefit. Here's how I benefit. Here's how the organization benefits. But it, it comes back to just like that common vision, common goal, common plan. So that's good. Greatest things were up, all uplifted. Yeah. All through the Bible, all uplifted. There you go. Okay. Questions, comments? Yeah. I'm full of questions tonight. That's good. There's um, worse things you could be full of. So, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, I, we just have like a workplace where like everyone's really like in a close working environment. Like having a conversation with somebody, like you have, like you have to pull them out of the environment to mm -hmm. have a conversation. Two thirds of the time, I'm pulling them out to tell them good news, mm -hmm. and like by the time they get there, they're like shaking and yeah, like yeah. sweating, like because I have to pull them out. Like, does anybody have any tips on like how to pull an employee aside without them like immediately thinking like the worst is about to happen? Sounds like you're doing a good job. If two thirds of the time it's good, like maybe maybe that's not about your department. Maybe that's the culture of the organization more so, and I might be wrong, but maybe the culture of the organization is, hey, if you're being called out, it's because you did something stupid. But it sounds like if you're two thirds of the time you're pulling people out, it's for good things. That's, that's probably a good place to start right there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, those of you watching online, the suggestion was, hey, catch them before at the end or beginning of a shift instead of in the middle so that they're not, yeah, they're, you're not interrupting work, but you're still able to have that conversation. I like that idea. And I don't know if it would be better or worse to say, hey, when you get a minute, come see me. Um, because that might, for those people that automatically think the worst, <laughs> maybe that compounds over time. Like, oh no, like it's, it's gonna be terrible. I don't know. But that might be a, that might be a good one too. Good question. I think we got time for one more. If you have any other questions or comments or thoughts or observations about hard conversations, tough talks. Um, you mentioned taking a different approach based on the person's personality who you're trying to have a hard conversation with. Um, does that mean that do you or should you tolerate backtalking from an employee if you know that that person is a natural challenger? It probably depends more on the tone than what they actually say. Because if their tone is subversive, I'm probably going to squash them, honestly. I'm probably just going to drop the hammer on them. Um, I'm going to respond in kind, unfortunately, in a situation like that. But I probably would allow it because, again, we're talking about understanding. We're talking about asking questions. And so if somebody is, is asking questions or they're pushing back on some of the things I'm saying, I'm inviting some of that to some degree. But if their tone gets kind of sideways, I might even go, hey, help. it feels like you're being a little defensive. Help me understand that. You know, or it sounds like, you know, I might have misread your tone, but it sounds like, you know, that's where I would start pushing on that a little bit. Um, but yeah, it probably depends on their tone. Um, I had did have somebody I um, had to terminate one time. And remember, I've worked at a couple of churches where I was the boss. So don't start thinking through people who used to work here. Um, but I did have somebody I had to terminate one time. And, uh, and I thought they were going to fight me. Like, I thought, okay, I got to get ready. This is coming. And, uh, and it didn't, thankfully. But... Uh, and some of that happens. You just got to be ready. But that's why uh, next month we're going to have a Taekwondo class for all of you. So that here's what you do after the hard conversation. You have the hard conversation, then you're ready to fight. So I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, we got a couple minutes before our cutoff time. I'm going to go ahead and, 
and pray and close us out. And then uh, if you guys wanna stick around and talk a little bit, there are a lot of good leaders here in this room and I would encourage you guys, get connected with somebody here in this room. Um, if there's somebody you don't know, go say hi, introduce yourself. And, um, and I love hearing you guys exchange phone numbers and talk about, hey, I'd love to pick your brain or hey, could we get coffee sometime? So please take advantage of the leaders that are here and available for you as well. So let me pray and we'll be done. God, thank you so much. Uh, for the opportunity we have to grow our leadership, for the opportunity we have to get better at leadership. And God, I pray that uh, those of us here, those of us listening to this or watching this, God, we would apply what we've received tonight. I pray that if it helps us have one conversation better that needs to happen, Lord, it would be a win. So God, I pray that... Um, the conversations some of us know need to happen that we've avoided. God, I pray that you would give us the, the, the will to go ahead and have those conversations for our organizations to get better, for our leadership to get better and for uh, things to get healthier. So God, give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us understanding in how to have those talks. And I pray that you give us grace with the people we're having those talks with so they would go smoother than what we expect them, expect them to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, thanks for coming. Have a wonderful night. God bless you.